The following episode is brought to you by Darren Katzka, Devious Pop-Tart, Elizabeth Clark, Irene Viorito, Laura Pickren, Nathan Stuller, Charles Compton, Natasha Rallerson, David Scrams, Edvarth Arnoff, Jerry Thunes, Mark Stanley, Rebecca Gauman, and Shelby Johnson, as well as all of our generous patrons. everyone, and welcome to Eberron Renewed, an actual play RPG podcast set in the Eberron campaign setting, played using the Genesis game system. I'm Jeff. I'm Philip. I'm Trevor. I'm Randy. And I'm Eric. <laughs> and today, because I am the one that's doing the introduction, you know that this is a Eberron Reviewed episode, where we go back over the last Ocho episodes and fight with each other about what we all did. <laughs> So yeah, long arc, let's get into it. This one starts with Olive and Eris and Cinder, the new elemental, and trying to get the octave arms up and running again. Holy cow, is it really that long back? That is what was <laughs> happening before the world turned into a bowl, yeah. Good grief. If you two would like to talk about it a bit, it works. Yeah, I spent every resource available to me mm-hmm. on not giving Eric the opportunity to turn olive into doc ock like i yeah i often work really hard not to just shut down things (laughs) but i really have come to like eris and i like that eris is moving towards a healthy place in her world Mm -hmm. and i just can't imagine what it would mean for olive to go insane yeah it (laughs) As bad as it will be for all of, it will be equally as bad for Eris. And she'll make it everyone's problem. And she'll make it bad for everyone else. That's exactly <laughs> right. But yeah, and once that, I guess we're all there, because we're all there when the world bowls up. But I didn't have, I can't, did Milo assist? I can't remember. Did? I think so. Was yeah. Milo, no, Milo wasn't there, because that's why the world. No, because Milo passed out. Remember, he was there. and then he Oh, fainted. he was right. there. And then At the end of that anymore. scene is when Milo passes out and the world concaves convexes uh, concaves sure um how, yeah, yeah and yeah randy and to a much greater set philip were really stacking the deck in favor of olive and i don't like i agree like i love olive as a character but it's also i was talking about this in a conversation i had with someone over on the geek pantheon youtube channel where we're talking about horror games and i can't remember if we talked after the recording ended or if this made it into the conversation we had in the video but it's always interesting when you have a very overt sort of damocles hanging over a campaign where it's not there's it's not a twist everybody knows what could happen and that's just an interesting thing to have as a gm Mm -hmm. and 
part of me thinks I just wish it wasn't with a character as beloved as Olive, but at the same time, that's what makes it an effective. If it was like hanging over Harbin, it'd be like, eh, okay, <laughs> that would right. suck, but who cares? I, uh, I was thinking about that in terms of, without being too spoilery for campaign one, Dex's brothers. And just like, one might show up and we just yeah. have to deal with it. And that's the same yeah. Olive might go feral and we just have to deal with it when it does. <laughs> okay, so. Milo passes out, and the next thing we know, the world turns into a bowl. And we are in a skill challenge to try to get safely to the tower is where we feel like we need to go because it's the center of the bowling. Mm -hmm. Which, now that I think about it, why didn't we just slide down there? <laughs> just find the flattest patch of bowl and Cause, slide to the... Because everything had turned, like, it was vertical, vertical. Like, it was, like, yeah. folded on us. It's more like a, a coffee mug than a bowl. Like, it's like... Yeah, mm, like fair. I have the visual element for the fellow podcasters here. Obviously, not for the audience. I guess <laughs> Eric, there was one of two things Eric was going to have on his desk: a coffee mug or a Stanley mug. And he was going to say it either way. And they're both, both there. <laughs> this is the official Geek Pantheon mug. Check it out at geekpantheon.com, where you can find all of our merch. He is modeling it to three men who will not, <laughs> four men who will not be buying it. Actually, I'd love to have a Geek Pantheon mug. I should get that anyway. Geekpantheon.com yeah man i know i'm gonna say it at the end <laughs> various skills i know at one point eris used like knowledge it's not streetwise is it in genesis might be yeah, yeah streetwise is a knowledge skill in genesis okay. that eris she has. used knowledge streetwise because she knows the area hob used brawn i think reynard used his i think or some like reynard's skill challenges were what can i see to do the smart Perception. way down yeah. as opposed to brute forcing it like yes your big and milo thing. took a nap and Milo was asleep. We get to the tower. There is a wizard. And, right, you said wizard, right? Or are we just yeah. a magic guy? Standing at a table with a bunch of runes. And there is three eldritch horrors as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot about the flesh tree as we're going. Let's there were lots the of weird things happening. But yeah, the flesh tree was my yeah. magnum opus. There were a I lot just... of changes. And three big ones were to the three players and laura asks we're going to ask it why was eris zoriat change so much less drastic than hobbs or reynard's if you don't recall reynard's hands turned backwards like a rakshasa hobbs face moved from his facial area to his chestal region and eris's <laughs> hair changed colors <laughs> so laura wants to know why was that change so much less drastic and i I have a guess you were screwing with me and Trevor, but please. Comedic effect. That yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's threes. We got beep, beep, and then subvert the expectation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Laura, they continue. What would you have done to Milo if he'd been there? Oh, his scar would have been gone. Okay. I, I would like to argue that it's the comedy effect is enhanced by the fact that Eris would be nearly exactly as horrified to yeah. discover that her hair had changed. Yeah, Eris might as... have been most aghast. I guess the big thing is that Hob could not see what he looked like at any point, so it probably kept him from going into a full meltdown. <laughs> yeah. And then last, Laura continues, how does Reynard shoot with backward hands? I can't remember if I said it, like, if it made the cut, but I didn't want these things to be mechanical. Mm -hmm. I didn't, like, I kind of hand-waved and said, yeah, if your perspective moved to the midpoint of your body and you were somebody who relied on punching and kicking, 
Hob would be rendered virtually useless, at least for the first like 30 seconds of any combat encounter. Mm. Just like Reynard couldn't possibly shoot a bow with backward hands. Don't at me, Philip. But <laughs> yeah, so it was just meant to be crazy, cosmetic, weird. So did you want my take on shooting a bow with backwards hands? I said, don't at me. Oh. Have you seen the James Cameron video? Just going to ask Philip that real quick. I guess the way they shoot bow and arrow in Avatar is wrong. Oh. And the guy was like, you'll never be able to shoot like that. And James Cameron went. Turned upside down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can. I and I've seen some archers who shoot that way, who argue that it's the best way for them to shoot. I feel like puts weird strain on my forearm and wrist uh, when I've tried it, because I've had students ask me about it who have seen Avatar. And (laughs) so I feel like it puts weird strain on my forearm and wrist. But that's because I'm twisting my hand. If my hand was actually turned (laughs) upside down, it wouldn't because presumably my tendons have rearranged themselves in order to function. So I would submit that it would be mostly an awkwardness of the hand-eye coordination when you reach for the string of remembering that you have to reach to the other side of the string because your fingers bend backwards now. (laughs) <laughs> so it it would be difficult but surmountable for Reynard to shoot a bow with backwards hands. I would argue yes, probably more <laughs> surmountable than having your eyes move to your torso. Um, or having your hair color changed without your consent. <laughs> I frosted my tips once in high school and it was pretty it was pretty terrible, so I do get it. So the fight I cuz I listened back to everything today and a good fight. Nothing particularly remarkable happens. I made a joke about pasting a bad guy, and Eric was like, yeah, sure. He really turns into paste on you, and that was gross. Ugh. Gave you what you wanted. And we ultimately won by gravity going wrong on the wizard, and he just shot up into the air and then splatted down in front of us. Mechanically, he was already dead. Sure. But yeah. Because <laughs> sure. Eris unloaded everything. She, on that he man. changed my hair, Eric. <laughs> I was hoping he was going to be putting her new neighborhood in danger. But if the hair color got you there, then great. <laughs> and at the end of the episode, Milo wakes up and Eris blames him for everything that happened because the smoke coming out of the table looked the same as the smoke coming out of his head because it was the same. We all know that. It's fine. Irene does ask, though, there's two questions about this episode real quick that I want to ask. Irene asks, Eric, what was your inspiration for the world fold in Highwall? This is this series of episodes and encounter occurred backwards, I think, to my normal workflow in that I started with the motivation of the bad guy, because I knew that this one to be just a one off. We had, I think, scheduling issues. Randy wasn't going to be able to make it. I think this was in the wake of the tornado. And so we were all still Mm -hmm. reeling from everything. And so I just wanted a session that was going to be a nice diversion. And I thought, what would a crazed conspiracy theorist look like an Eberron, like somebody that was like full on. And what would that conspiracy theory be? And so I landed and he muttered about this in the episodes that like the morning was an inside job kind of thing. And like, it was fake. It wasn't real. Some elites just wanted to have their own truther. (laughs) Yeah. He's a morning truther. Some elites wanted to have their own little pocket utopia where they didn't have to deal with. Yeah. So, I started with that assumption and worked my way backwards about, okay, what would that look like? And then what would his plan be? And then what would be the results of it? And I knew that I wanted to put high walls in danger because it's a where Harrison Milo were and where Reynard and Hobb were headed. 
and also because people have grown to care about this place but i didn't want it to be like destroyed at the end of the arc so yeah that was the the inspiration was just what would be a fun interesting thing to do if you lived in sharn and inverting the world in some way is where i landed but yeah all right. And then last, Kevin asks, what kind of conversations are happening around the Bent Reality incident in High Walls and how did it affect the rest of Sharn? I am wondering if the rest of Sharn noticed also. <clears throat> so people are freaked out about it. Like it, it was something unprecedented, but thankfully the Fixer and her cohorts swooped in and saved the day. So Eris's folk hero-esque stock has gone up. But yeah, I mean, they're... They are terrified that something like that happened, but they also saw the mush of a man in the courtyard <laughs> of the guy that caused it. So there's not a whole lot of fear of it happening again, right. if that makes sense. And did survive, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. So. Additionally, just to address Irene's second question of will we get to yeah, know what that wizard up to in some other way? No, honestly, like <laughs> it was no. Yeah. We killed him. We can't ask him. He did. It's true. And we begin the next episode with what Lila was going through while we were doing this. He goes on a little adventure in his mind while he's asleep. And it begins with him just realizing things are weird. He's Eric or Randy. How long did it take for you to, because it took me a second to realize, oh, I'm between these planes. Or was that explicitly said eventually, I think, but. Yeah, Eric said it at some point, but I think I started putting two and two together. And I think I was there about the time he said where Milo was at. And so once Milo realizes that he can just hop where he wants to go in his state, he hops to a room with a woman in a bed who snaps awake. It's like, I don't think I hopped there on purpose. I think Eric sent me there, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. You rolled a despair, I think. That's yeah. What that yeah. i think oh, you're right i missed that because i was going where i wanted to go i was checking on things mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden i was someplace else and so the first thing is kylie wakes up and some is it cassian and the daughter that come in is that right no it's some unknown figure and the daughter because cassian unknown is figure. elsewhere yeah oh sure yeah cassian's with who we see in a minute and you know, if one of you wants to take it for a minute, this was y'all's until the other three yahoos show up. Yeah, I will just say for my part that the Kylie waking up thing, what was a result of some kind of dice roll, whether it was a, a triumph, despair, a bunch of threat. And because I came up with that on the fly, I was thinking what could be something interesting and distressing to Milo. It was like seeing Kylie. And then if we have Kylie wake up in some capacity from her state, what does that mean for Milo and all this kind of stuff? So that just seemed like an interesting porthole to allow him to see through briefly before then shunting him off to somewhere else. Yeah, but he didn't actually see Kylie, though. He saw his daughter. Well, Kylie was in the bed, though. Oh, OK, I didn't I don't guess I remember her being in the same room. Yeah, she was she was in like a hospital bed and woke up and the daughter rushed in. Okay, that's what it was. That's right. I would argue he saw a daughter, but you could say his daughter, I guess, if you want to. A, a, Milo a Milo's daughter. daughter. Yes. A, from a genetic standpoint. <laughs> yeah. And then he does get kicked off to where he was always planning, or Eric was always planning to have him go because 
we were all hiding there in wait with characters to play. And Ray, I can't remember, Randy, did you know who you were about to meet? I can't remember if you were in that conversation. No, I had no okay. idea. No. I was just like, huh, what in the world is going on? <laughs> because when he goes to the next place, there are four people there. Two of which it's he recognizes. Huh? It's us. Two of which <laughs> he recognizes, Cassian and Anne Eris. And the other two, he doesn't. Some of you might recognize one of them as Dex from Campaign 1, and the other one was E, short for Evie, short for Evelyn, but forget that immediately. <laughs> that was a great line. I love it. It was very funny. And Trevor nailed it in one. There wasn't any weird leading <laughs> to it. Like, it was... <laughs> okay, listen. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Defend yourself. Yeah, and when Eric started describing the people, I was in my head, I was going... That's Dex. It's like <laughs> I knew immediately that's got to be Dex. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I wasn't trying. I was trying to make my first line very obvious who I was. <laughs> I didn't think that I was going to get the Drakir returns pop from the audience, but I like to think maybe a little bit of something. I would love but, for Trevor to tell us about E, though. I would love to hear more of E. The biggest was unknown it? entity with a hot pink claw mark tattoo on her forehead. Yeah, I just wanted to do something different and create a character that wasn't as stupid. <laughs> and self-assured, that's for sure. Yeah, and I definitely wanted to... I think I Bernard is confident, but definitely to a fault. And <laughs> in a dumb way. And so I wanted to do something a little more straightforward. Sure. And she was fun. It was it was really good. So those four talk about another mission they're going on, and they talk about a drow. And I made a decision that my decks, this decks, okay, is that campaign one Drakir, or is it just a Drakir? Or can you tell us? Do you want to tell us? It's a world-hopping drow. I don't know why you all are okay. given a name to this person. I did not but, give a name to this person. We made it pretty clear for you who we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Killing everyone you love and things like that. It's a really specific, weird threat. Yep. But <laughs> so the backstory behind it is very simply that Eric sent a text to me and Philip and Trevor asking if we would play these characters. And of course, I was immediately in to getting to put on the cowboy boots one more time. And the only directive that we had was I'll give us a topic to riff on for a little while, but before Milo leaves, one of you has to tell him, don't kill Solomon Calloway. And we almost did not do it because <laughs> I thought it was great that one tried and Cassian stopped him so the other one could try. And then the way that Eris just flippantly threw off, nah, don't kill Calloway right before he popped out of existence was fantastic. Yes, I did not get to, Milo did not get to stick around to ask any questions about that at all. As in nope. And if you had, we would not have had any answers because that's all inside <laughs> of Eric's head. <laughs> Yeah, obviously we can't know why you can't kill Calloway. <laughs> so Laura asks, how was it playing alternate versions of your characters, especially after not playing Dex for so long? I'll go first. It was a lot of fun playing Dex again. I went back and listened to a couple of Campaign 1 episodes to try to get the voice and the attitude back in check. Funnily enough, the first episode I decided to listen to was one where I'm in disguise almost the whole time as a little boy <laughs> and a Stormlord, so I had to find a different one. It's like, just don't pick a Thorn episode. <laughs> that had a blast. I would love to revisit Dex again, frankly. I don't know how we would. But I don't think it makes sense, but he's fun to play. 
Call me if you want me in your one shot. Don't call me. <laughs> I was playing other Eris hates other Eris. How does Philip feel about other Eris? <laughs> so it was. So we have this reality where there's two different versions of this person and both of them are going. Obviously, there's a lot of versions of this person because infinite worlds theory and whatnot. But <clears throat> where the two versions that we know about both go by Eris, which I has to have just been a slip of the tongue of forgetting that's not her proper name when Eric first introduced the problem, but it created an issue for me because I'm inevitably going to think way too much about this. And Eris calls herself Eris for some very specific reasons. And so it, it was trying to think of, What's a different enough version of this person to be amusing since you can't just have someone who's you can't just have heiress with different hair color and it be Been fun done. in a multi in a multiverse thing like she, something has to be fundamentally changed about her. And so what I landed on was a version of heiress that was never rescued from the Dashur a version of Eris that remained the Dashur's protege, which is why I described her in, I don't remember exactly how I described it because it's been a long time, but yeah. in a more distinctly Dargul style and that sort of thing and gave her a slightly less street rat accent and, <laughs> and so forth. The place where I got hung up with it and had a hard time was I would imagine a version of Eris that remained with the Dashur to be less chaotic than the Eris we know and love or tolerate. And, <laughs> but part of Eric's mandate was the idea that Dex and Eris were two of the more chaotic cha uh, members of this lighthouse team. And I never quite figured out how to mesh that. Those two things, because I was going to play this character for 15 minutes and at a certain point you've put too much thought into that. <laughs> yes, but I did put too much thought into that. And that's probably what caused me to just entirely forget that I was supposed to tell Milo not to kill Calloway because I couldn't. I was trying to mesh the heiress as a much more of a product of Dargul society, of the very hierarchical Dargul society and heiress who just disregards rules and orders and so i don't know something anyway so that's that was where my mind was from it did i enjoy it yes i think i had um, a headcanon way of making that work too and it was this person knows that this person in milo's world is named eris and she didn't want to further break his brain so she's like fine for the next couple of minutes whatever <laughs> <laughs> that would also make some sense yours, but yours i would imagine that character work but I would imagine that a version of Eris that still goes by Zay or something else would be equally uncomfortable learning details about her other lives. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. what are you uh, I will say that this is just the beauty of when you as the DM take a thing that is a plot point and hand it to some of your other players for a sequence like this and what can occur. And this is not me dogging on you at all. I'm just like, because I think it's hilarious. But in my brain, the don't try to kill Calloway line was very, think what you will about the the movie and the overarching 
cinematic universe but like the flash showing up to like bruce wayne like time jumping of talking about lois and like you got us like and and so that was in my brain like this like last second don't try to kill calloway and then it was just this very oh don't kill calloway it was like awesome that's on brand (laughs) (laughs) the message got delivered (laughs) yeah hey no like i said i'm not dogging anybody i think it's hilarious but it would be a much colder eris and so eris does a job in that world, but I can't imagine that she feels like grave sorrow at the idea of some reality caving in on itself because it happens apparently. <laughs> no, it doesn't. There's gotta that, be places that, we haven't seen. <laughs> but this is why Eris, our Eris, hates the idea of this other Eris, is because that means that if she decides to believe Cassian, that the only two versions of herself that she's aware of both go by Eris, which means that in all versions of the worlds, the worst thing that happened to her still happened. There's not in her mind a version of herself that is just enjoying a happy life with her family. It's a canon event, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's the point of beyond the, of across the spider verse. <laughs> I, I will say, I didn't put a lot of thought into it, but in my head, my decks went through everything. This decks went through everything my decks did. Mm. With some obvious exceptions. With one important obvious exception. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a copper dragon instead of a silver one. This well, decks kept his promises. Let's move on. I, I want to hear Milo's perspective on seeing this whole gathering and like the craziness and being told not to kill Gallo- Calloway. What? Why are you uh, laughing at me? No, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm laughing at Jeff. No, I'm laughing at Phil. Me and Jeff are having a moment. I would say, first of all, Randy was just like, what the heck? I was trying to figure out how to react. How would Milo react? What would Milo be thinking? And I felt like I was stumbling my way through the entire thing. (laughs) And I think Milo has accepted what Cassian had told him as being true. It just made sense. Okay. He knows there's a voice you've been hearing in your head. I don't think I ever said anything to him previously, or he knew that. So he knows that. And then he tells me who the voice is. So Milo buys into it. This is real. And so there is this other Kylie and who did have a child and that Milo is the one that died. So I think in some sense, he's still processing all of that. And then, you know, Cassian had made that offer. Like you could come here, you could come to this version and be with Kylie potentially. So there she is. There's a child that the other Milo and her had together And I think from my perspective, Milo and Kylie always wanted to have a kid and it just never happened. And now, so he's thinking, is that a potential family? And then he got to see that potential family. So it was just, I think Milo's just trying to process a whole lot of stuff in his head still. Plus with all the magic garbage that's gone on with him, it's just... He still has his sanity, but for how much longer, Eric? How much longer? <laughs> I don't know. To say the, not to mention that the 
all the crazy magic madness that goes on with Milo is caused by that potential family. Yep. Yup. Milo wakes up and there's quickish conversation. And then we, it was really neat. All of us that were listening to this episode got to hear what it sounds like when someone has their first conversation with a human. In <laughs> character Eric played, this book collecting weird beard. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I, I am nice not man. wrong. <laughs> that was the most, I will admit, like, I was so thrown that I don't think I got a good grasp of what was going on the first time. I wasn't joking about being a little blacked out is a perfectly nice man okay i still don't know <laughs> what exactly was going on i will not i will not contest his niceness but you can be nice and still just a real awkward dude that was completely wild because suddenly Eris found herself the socially competent member of a conversation and mm-hmm. just no idea how to play <laughs> that role I how thought to be it was the guiding force in an interaction. Yeah. Like it was I, deeply, it was deeply terrifying to her insecurities. Is this what it's like to talk to me? I wonder if that's why it felt like you, Eris, chose compassion for all of the ways that she responded. So maybe that's is that part of it, or yeah, it was just that the Eris doesn't know how to talk to people really very well, and lots of people have lots of patience with the way that Eris expresses herself, and she's self-aware enough to know that. I guess if I were to make an assumption about Eris, it does make a little bit of sense that the people she would be able to show grace and compassion to are either her best friends or complete strangers. Yeah. Because if someone wronged her once or was just a little annoying that day, they're not Uh with it. (laughs) No. Very funny conversation. It was hilarious. It was a lot of fun to play that character because I, I read Rick Rubin's latest book, The Creative Way, and or the creative act, sorry. And he has a quote in there about this philosophy of as soon as you apply a label to yourself, then you are limiting your capacity for creativity. And I wanted to take that notion and just crank it to 15 of what would it look like if you just took that concept and made it untenable. And that's where Eamon's personality came from of this weird philosophical like i want to be a sculptor but i'm not going to learn how to sculpt that way i can truly like understand the essence of sculpting and and i just i took that quote from a book and just ran three miles with it and ran it into a wall <laughs> he yeah he wasn't objectionable at all he was just really awkward but it was fun we all end up together at the cauldron finally and reynard makes it so weird with sauna Eric gives Reynard a perception check. He says, listen, Sauna's just trying to have a normal freaking night. And Reynard walks over and goes, remember how there's a guy in your living room? <laughs> your sister's on the warpath and she's got a guy in your house? Defend we needed yourself, to know. <laughs> it's my favorite thing when I have you all make a perception check to understand someone's emotional state and Reynard's the only one to pass it. That's like my favorite running gag of this campaign. Is Reynard having to be the one to... Like, a charm in comes in, baby. I feel like sometimes we do have to say, Reynard, or Trevor has a lot of social grace. He's good at picking up on clues. He's a fantastic person to have a conversation with. Reynard is a moron. <laughs> you, you got, <laughs> I just want to make sure you guys know to separate the two, listener. <laughs> I'll commit to a character. But so funny. And then we take off. 
we decided we got to go. It's time to go. And the next episode, boy, that was three of eight. In episode four, we go to the cogs. We get in there. We have a shadow stalker that Eris has reprogrammed, essentially. And mm-hmm. we decide to follow it to the lair. And at one point, there is a, like a, a chasm in the path that we have to get past. I almost killed, Ray, or almost killed Milo because apparently... A giant strong man can't throw a tiny halfling over a two-foot crack in the road. We see some shadow stalkers. We know what they can do. We are concerned about it. So Randy uses his triumph to kill some Dask guys. <laughs> he says, what if a couple of ne'er-do-wells show up and the shadow stalkers chase them instead? And they did chase one of them because they didn't have to chase the other because they put a hole in his face. That's true. Real quick, Shadow Stalkers, all you, correct? Yes. Yeah. Did you pick a stat block for stuff, or did you just build them? Like, obviously, yeah, you I can do. Is... Tried my hand at building them this time around instead Very of just cool. stealing them. So they were great. They were fun. They were Thanks. tough. Um, Especially fun when they left us alone for as long as possible. Oh, I skipped. We did have. I may have mentioned it in passing. We did have some confrontation at the beginning of this episode, just while we were standing out in the street, just airing some grievances with each other mainly heiress to Milo and then heiress to everybody when she reminds us that we're giving away some secrets and that guy can definitely hear us. <laughs> yeah. But we find the shadow stalker goes in, we find where to get in, we tunnel through and the episode ends with Egric goes down and then Hob follows him, sees this swirling purple vortex that becomes a big deal for the next couple episodes. And then Hob explodes like he sat on an airbag and that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Anything Exploding from caltrips buried into the floor is one of my favorite like trap ideas that I've had. I don't know if I stole yeah, it from somewhere subconsciously, but I was really pleased when I came up with those. It's really fun. And in the home game we have where I play a caster, I play it on, if we ever have time to booby trap, I'm stealing that. So just go ahead and <laughs> expect it. Okay, so the next two episodes are all... This big fight, a lot of stuff happens. First thing we realize is the episode just starts in initiative. And Hob goes first, punches one of the Shadow Stalkers into the Vortex, and we figure out what the Vortex does. It goofs you up real good, and it teleports you to somewhere else. In the And then Eric, you said you had just like a random table. If anybody fell in the Vortex, yep. they got rolled on, and they ended up where they ended up. Very cool. Oh, I got a crit. I was like, why did I put Reynard heals Hob with an exclamation point to say, way to go, Trevor? And I got critted on. And the first thing Raynard did was heal me. You're bleeding out. We kind of get the impression. Actually, Eris gets the impression. I don't know if she she shared it, but she realizes that this vortex is not Vulragat's doing. He right. found this space, and that kind of that made it a little less intimidating to me that it could turn on. I, that's where I started. Thinking, oh, it could probably turn on him too. We, some, yeah, we can do there. The platforms are moving. We have a lot of talk about maybe Olive can do something to neutralize that. So we pass a triumph her direction. Turns out, no, but that's okay. We learn things. And at one point, when Vulragoth raises his weapon and fires it, I asked, was that a Fletcher? And I should have kept my mouth shut because all that did was let everybody listening know that they figured out quicker than me (laughs) who this guy was. (laughs) I said the words, Hobgoblin Artificer. 600 times. <laughs> and I'm so self-centered that I did not think of any of the other characters or their backstories. I just thought, let's fight a big guy. <laughs> Philip, when no. did you know what was going on? 
<laughs> no is not quite. I wouldn't say I knew okay, until we didn't the Fletcher. Know until it was, yeah. The Fletcher, at the point that it was a Fletcher, I was like, okay, this is what Eric's doing. I started suspecting when we got the story from the warband that we got this hobgoblin warlord who makes and invents things and they found him on his own. And I remember how we left the Dashur in that flashback. And it was definitely that point that I, that I suspected that's what Eric was doing. And I really went back and forth on, and I still, I I never had to decide. So it was fine on to what degree Eris could put these things together because that would of course be something that she would bring up. And I didn't really want to know if I was right until Eric was ready to reveal it. And so I, I just decided that if Eris has any suspicions, she doesn't want to speak them out loud and summon them into the world. And yeah, it was, I'm glad I liked the way the reveal happened. It was a great episode button and everything. I appreciate you letting me tell my silly stories. <laughs> I would have ruined it if I had put it together. I probably would have ruined it. And then, I'm like, oh shoot, you probably need to cut that. I bet we don't need to. <laughs> Sorry about that. I spoke out of turn. But our listeners are smarter than me, and a handful of them, I'm sure, already knew. Here's how I describe the rest of this episode of my notes: Milo goes invisible. Reynard falls. Sana saves. Olive fails. Going great. Yeah, Reynard went down. That was your first time to go down, right? I believe so. Like completely, yeah. Yeah, like unconscious, so, zero hit point. Usually I'm hiding behind something. Usually we don't have ranged attackers, but <laughs> whoops. Yeah, it is this the episode where we learned that Reynard doesn't wear any armor? Is this yeah, the episode where we discovered No. I think no, I got a hint. Oh, I think I got a hint oh. about it. That actually hasn't <laughs> I don't think that one's dropped yet, actually. Oh, okay. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. I, I, I had to do that a few times when I was taking notes. I was like, that has not come out yet. Backspace, backspace. <laughs> Yeah, for, for full disclosure, we've recorded three episodes of The Next Arc already, and so I'm doing my very best not to spoil things. I'm sure Eric will delete it if I accidentally mess up. Yeah, that's pretty much what happens. The rest of it is a fight. Things stay pretty much the same as far as the environment. They change in the beginning of the next episode, but it's just the de- it, we, it's the Deshure. He yells something girl. and mm-hmm. da- I think it's just, maybe it's Damn It Girl? Yeah, it's just Damn It Girl. Okay, he yells Damn It Girl. And at that point, the only people that hear it, I think, are Eris and Olive. No, it was a loose No, just Eris. Just Eris. Okay. Eris tells Olive later on. But it's clear that the Deshur is formidable, and also that the Forge and the Vortex are going to really goof us up if they feel like it. Milo goes invisible, which is... Almost like Randy knew he might not be able to make it to the next recording. It was prescient. <laughs> um, yeah. Milo took a trip to Santa Fe. What can he say? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you loved it. And that's episode five. Episode six begins. I believe episode five ended with the Dashur yell. The reveal. Yeah. yeah. At the beginning of episode six, as things get more unstable in the vortex area, the platforms start getting wilder. They begin to rise. Is that right? Rise yeah. and fall mm-hmm. in Up addition to spinning. We keep going. Just the fight continues. I don't know what to say. The fight continues. It's pretty. Yeah. Hob tries to punch things when he can. Eris, actually though, you do roll a fear check and fail, right? Like, yeah. Eris is mechanically scared of the Dutch. Yeah. Eris is discipline. Eris is, has no points in discipline, mm-hmm. and her willpower is two. So Eris rolls two green. 
on fear checks and uh, that I have left that alone because I just, I think that fits her character very well. So yeah, Eris fails this and very mercifully only has a setback mm-hmm. on this because we had to come up with something in the midst of it. Cause the rules don't really define what a flat failure is. Mm-hmm. I think it was a, I think it was a great in the moment call by both of you. Philip did a great job of elucidating how Eris feels. And I think the setback for everything. Cause yeah, of course. Yeah, and I I wanted to touch on, this is something that I'm trying to do more in my games in general, but this was a good, I think the first time I had actually executed it, as I mentioned, having a conversation with somebody about running horror-based tabletop RPG games, Tom from the YouTube channel No Rules Barred, go check it out. But he talked about the fact that oftentimes when you have something where it's a mechanical, like in Genesis, where there's a mechanical thing called a fear check, where it's like figuring out, is your character scared of something? That can a lot of times create frustration from a player perspective because it feels like the agency is being taken away from Mm. them. Like they have rolled the dice and the dice say your character is scared right now, even though you might be like, oh, but my. And so anyway, what how Tom handles it and how I'm trying to do it moving forward is like the failure of the fear check dictates the mechanical disadvantage of the player character, like what they're going through. But. I was very intentional to allow Philip to describe how that manifests in Eris. So Philip still has the agency of how Eris is responding to this presence being around her, as opposed to me saying, you're scared, you're sweating, you're, or whatever. For any pl- GMs out there that have run that issue before, feeling like sometimes your players can get frustrated, I feel like that's a really good tip to let your players describe the emotional state and the dice can determine the mechanical effects of that. Okay. I like that. We've played together long enough that I, yeah, I don't mind when the dice go against what I think is right for my character. That's part of the game. But when it's, this is just fundamentally doesn't feel right. It, yeah, I think that's great that you, you've got some leeway on that. At one point I get a triumph and Eric's, so it'd be fun. What if you go through the vortex and land by the Dashur? We'll find out at the beginning of the next episode <laughs> what Eric was trying to do to me. And then we just crit and crit. I think by the end of this episode, we'd had three crits on the Dashur and one on a Shadow Stalker, maybe another. Yeah, was... we rolled a lot of triumphs. The dice were mm-hmm. were very friendly. Yeah, and actually, we rolled more triumphs than crits. We used some for some other yeah. stuff too, I believe. It was a lot of fun, and yeah, also very difficult. <laughs> this was a hard fight. Yeah, it was. Um, well, and Olive goes down, or nearly. Yeah, at the, at the, towards the end. Yeah. The, this episode, however, ends with Eris getting hit, and I put I the despair the over that many fight episodes. Yeah, and falls into the vortex. End of episode. Yes, I did. We begin the next episode by finding out what happens when you fall through the vortex. Eric says, and I quote, "Your body and mind are torn apart and put back together. Ten wounds, ten strain. No yep. soak. Yep. Ten strain would have ended me at any point." Because I have I use so much strain when I fight, I would have gotten some back from story point flipping. But man, so yeah, Eris. It, it put me within through. exactly one of going down mm-hmm. on both sides. Like I had one one wound and one strain available. Yeah, we talk about it, but we don't talk about it a lot because of soak and because of the nature of combat in Genesis. Dex at one I, at one point I probably held 130 hit points, like mm-hmm. legitimately. Hob is the toughest guy in this group i have 14 wounds yeah it's that yeah. much more and i think i have 12 strain i'm guessing I say, but, and you have a lot of soak I, that's what, what I, was, I do have a ton yeah. of soak i have 10 soak yeah so that's the that's where the so discrepancy eris because the way we did the gauntlet is that we treated it like cybernetics 
it increased her brawn. And Eris has 13 hit points or mm. wounds, but Eris is not nearly as tough as Hob having four soak from her armor. And so, yeah, that's it's very different. And I like it because it means that you're never not concerned about wounds. Yeah. Yeah, because even so, with 10 soak, there's maybe five times this whole campaign where I've gone, that just doesn't get through. You know? Yeah. Eric shook his head when I said that he did not give me the tools to build this guy. <laughs> no, that was shaking my head at myself for giving me the tools <laughs> to build that guy. Fair enough. <laughs> so the next major thing that happens is Olive starts to lose herself, is the way I think we all interpret it. She mm -hmm. gets fire in her eyes. This time, nothing comes of it because of some misfortune that falls her before she can go again. But it was concerning to Eris. I think Hobbs saw it, but wasn't concerned because he didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Hobbs just well, thinks, that's more magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that happened to her is a result of the fight. Like, Olive right. became very reckless in her approach, which mm -hmm. was how it manifested. Or I guess, rather, Cinder was rather reckless in, in their approach. So, yeah. Yeah. When the closest person to you's hair is smoldering, you tend to lose your focus a bit. At one point, Eric said bean footage. That got a lot of traction in the Discord. Felt like I should mention <laughs> it. And then Olive takes a Vortex ride and lands yeah. right next to the Dashur. And then Eric tells us, I've been getting notes that my, my fights aren't dynamic enough. And we were like, baby boy, you've done it. <laughs> also, just as an aside, disagree. <laughs> I think you make really good dynamic fights. Thank you. I want Appreciate to that. both acknowledge the ramp up of this one. Oh, after yes. You got that. Critique. This one was absolutely like crazy but and delightful. The only complaint I ever have about combats Eric runs is when circumstances keep me from getting to punch. And that ain't Eric's <laughs> fault. Okay. So Philip rolls a 99 on a crit. That's going to be plus 30. And it's what happens. And then Eric. Well, I think it. I had a second. I think I had an extra triumph in there too to add an extra ten to it. It was it was a lot. We had a lot of. Oh yeah, because you asked what's one forty nine actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. We had a lot of hurt to put on him. What? No, it was earlier in the last episode where his mirror mask shattered and we. That was the first crit. That was yeah, where we. Yeah. That where was where we, we learned who he was. was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the way, mirror mask, great movie. If you anybody hadn't seen it, go check it out. Written by Neil Gaiman. It's um, a workshop. But it, it worked really well because the way Eric ended up describing moment was based on what he intended the Dashur's turn to be, which is that he was going to strike at Olive. Mm -hmm. And that that really worked because my problem that I was having is I'd always known that Eris would be conflicted about fighting the Dashur. And obviously we, we get into Eris's conflicted feelings in the next episode but in this case it had never occurred to me that the situation would be one where if we met the dashur and had to fight the dashur it would be because we ambushed the dashur <laughs> sure yeah. and so i i had this kind of i don't know trouble figuring out what eris was trying to do and what eris wanted to happen here and so eric the just the dice creating a situation where Olive fell into danger really gave me a narrative solution to mm -hmm. it because otherwise I was just like, and, and Hob had gone down and that 
that helped as well. So between that and all of being in obvious mortal danger, that allow that sort of pushed Eris over the edge with the narrative. And so, yeah, we just crit him back into his own forge and burned him up. Yep. All right. It was fantastic. And it was, I can't think of the right term. I didn't take enough literature classes in college to know what the term for just like it built to the exact right place it needed at the right time. Mm-hmm. Both of the major vendetta fights, the right guy has gotten the kill. Mm-hmm. Pretty fantastic. And yeah. while there is metagaming in Genesis, we really didn't like. Yeah, we really didn't have to set this no. up. No. And yeah. obviously it's like he's trying to attack all of it's obviously Eris's turn. We're all going to back off. But <laughs> it was beautiful. It was wonderful. I think that's the best thing about Genesis's initiative is that in moments like that, we can, without really metagaming, because this is just how the rules play, uh-huh. we can say, oh, it's got to be this person's turn. Yeah, and we do that a lot. Yeah. Reynard just got shot. I think Reynard has to go. Eric tells us all out loud that he forgot. Yeah, I was, he was so mad at myself. He was like... supposed to be subtracting 20 from all of those crits the whole time. <laughs> In my notes, I have LOL. So proud of myself when I was designing him. I was like, they crit so much. I'll put durable two on him to help mitigate that a little bit. And then I just forgot about it the second the combat started. I have to. That would have been there. Done that. It would have been twenty more minutes to the fight, probably if he was still. still, Unless Hob and Kath were able to get to him and actually do some damage, that might have shortened it. But it still wouldn't have. It still would have lengthened the fight. Just gets the kill. Philip calls his friends schmucks to their faces. And <laughs> then while all of it, Eris check each other out, make sure they're okay. The, the vortex, the forge destabilizes further. And now it's actually trying to draw us into the center platform. And we realize it is time to hoof it. Cheese it. To cheese it. I wrote different words in my notes that I won't say. Or we'll get an explicit tag. The next thing I wrote was, oh, it's a Frogger game, and I didn't get it. I did not understand how to get out of this thing, and I felt like such an idiot listening back. Because Trevor immediately figured out what needed to happen. Philip figured out really quickly what needed to happen. I was just like, no, no push a rock. It was another skill challenge. Reynard and Sana did the thing that got us, got most of us out of it. Eris did yeah. the thing that got one person out of it. What is that? T- is that a talent? Where you can just you have one small important thing on you when you want it. Oh, or is it a? Yeah, it's what I took a long time ago. It was like I can't remember what it's called, but it was one of the ones that I used to get a career. I, there were a couple talents I took very early that just that were just to get a career skill added mm-hmm. that I felt like she should have that that weren't included in the career that that I used. But it came with this thing that I never do, which is once per session I can just produce a small useful item from somewhere just find it essentially mm-hmm. and that was very helpful here <laughs> yeah if this is the only time you ever use it it will have proven yeah. its utility yeah 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 i did the same thing i took a couple of uh, i took a couple of random things to get a like a th- tier three talent that i wanted real bad and had the xp to get but we do get out and we we go to the next episode it starts with what makes sense eris wants to drink away some tension and maybe some memories of the night altogether. <laughs> I I wanted to debrief 
with the players first, because it was really clear to me very early, very quickly that your characters, understandably, were quite willing to let Eris and Olive just take some time to work this out. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to come up with a situation in which Eris could go somewhere and have the opportunity to debrief with player characters first so that everyone at the table was just sitting around watching me and Eric have a conversation. Sure. And that's nice. And I know everyone that listens has probably has people they play with, but as I just knew if Philip says I'm going home, don't go. If Philip says right. I'm going to the bar, Hobbs going with Eric to the bar. And all and Eric knew that all probably wouldn't show up like just, and I appreciated that because I also know that, Eric is smarter than I am and a better speaker. And if you had gone to Olive first, I would not have had anything good to say to Eris as Hob. He was just like, let's just drink and forget about it. So I appreciated that. Eric still had plenty of good things to say for himself because I didn't exhaust it. Well, Reynard came in clutch with a good little sentiment there at the tail end. That was like, beautiful. Did. Yeah, on take two. It was great. <laughs> you don't got to pull back the curtain, Trevor. You could just take That's the That's what reviewed is for, pulling back the curtain. If I'm being honest, I don't... I enjoyed Hob having this conversation with Eris. I enjoyed getting to play that with Philip and with Trevor. Listening back to it, it was very awkward for me to listen to because I was like, oh, like these are real things I've said to friends in bad situations before, and I'm just dropping them on the podcast now. <laughs> things that people have said to me when mm-hmm. I've been in hard times before. And I guess it's part of, I feel much more comfortable and, as Hob than I do as Dex and feel more comfortable talking to Eris than I did to Barrick as Jeff. And, but I just listened back to it and I was like, all right, win some places. Let's move on. <laughs> Eris and Hob are more emotionally honest than Barrick and Dex. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Bex, Bex and Derek. <laughs> that sounds like... Bex and, uh, that's the alternate re- world. Bex <laughs> and Derek. Uh, Derek and Bex are definitely a Premier League footballer and his girlfriend. But, yeah, I think it is the fact that they're unguarded around each other that made that an easy scene to go. Yeah. No, I'm, no, that was, like... I enjoyed getting to air the things that the feelings that Eris has about the Dashur and about Dargul society, it just in general, like I've referenced a lot in these Eris having very mixed feelings about what she went through. And so it was very nice to finally get to express them in fiction as Eris instead of just to them as Philip. And it also did, it, it went a long way towards, marrying two kind of disparate ideas that Eris has had, which is her fondness for the culture that mm-hmm. she learned while enslaved. And yeah, it's difficult for those of us who have not been in that situation to understand how that could at all be possible. And I think it yeah. went a long way to, for Eris explaining, you don't understand. He also raised me. Yeah. And which I think children of abuse of homes as adults, feel those conflictions that same yeah. confliction and then yeah. we- and i hope for any of our listeners who have been through much more terrible things than i've ever been through that it came across as honest and not just as trying to use it for a character thing like that it came across dealing with it in a way that felt real and honest and authentic at least in some way that's what i was have been trying to do with Eris. so 
it would be dishonest to say we've done hundreds of episodes of a D podcast and we haven't used character trauma for development. Right. But we are trying to be respectful about it. And I think I thought that was beautiful that the way Eris spoke in both that scene and the one with Oliver. But before we get to Olive, wouldn't we ever on Renew if me and Trevor didn't do something stupid for a minute? <laughs> this is nothing but amazing. So as Eris leaves out the window, we leave out the door. And what is her name? I, why did I not write it down? Nessa Moonshadow. 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 Okay, yes. Nessa Moonshadow is there. And Hob and Reynard really get in touch with their essences. And their essences are being morons. <laughs> Hob not being interested in romance doesn't get what's going on. Reynard not being experienced with romance doesn't get what's going on. We are terrible to this woman who is only trying to help Reynard. And somehow that endears him to her enough that he gets a date at the end. Yes. We don't need to go into a lot of detail. Some people like dumb though. people. Boy, I'm crossing my fingers. I hope that's right. It was fun. It was stupid. It was funny. I like goofing around with Trevor and Eric. So it was a fun time. I think it was a nice way to switch the tempo there's yeah, nothing yeah, wrong with attention break absolutely no, no i agree it gives some really fun levity to it and no, no i i get where ness is coming from she will never feel inadequate that's so funny and i don't know why it makes me so uncomfortable <laughs> i know like we've improv together before like in you are front the of people. most experienced performer <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> I, I just can't handle it i don't know why <laughs> I, I actually I do want to say I meant to bring this up earlier. Throughout all three of these sessions, Eric does a spectacular job of cutting around genuinely uproarious laughter. We were <laughs> screaming laughing for a lot of the time for all three of the sessions that make up this eight episode arc. Sometimes you catch it just starts and he kills it. And so that's very fun for us or for me to hear back too. But man, we were all killing each other. It was a blast. <laughs> the game's fun, guys. The game's fun. Yeah, it is. Reynard's a ladies' man, Hobbs' best wingman in Sharn, <laughs> and it's time for Eris and Olive to have a real conversation. I guess it's, they, they had seen each other already in this episode. Like, it was, this wasn't the first time they've seen each other since it was over, but they yeah. did not talk. So, Yeah, no, it was just, I really liked the simplicity of the conversation. They mm-hmm. didn't want, it didn't need to be rehashing everything Eris had said to. Hob and Reynard, it's entirely possible that Eris has said some of those things to Olive before. And no, I liked the simplicity of it. I really liked the little vignette it ends on of Olive nudging Eris and Eris putting her head on her shoulder. Like, just, I don't know. It was nice. It was a sweet little moment. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was really nice. It was really sweet. So. <laughs> That is where we end the episodes. That is where we end the arc. We will be back next week with more, but before that, we have a few overarching or unrelated questions. One actually related one. Trevor, Kevin wants to know if Reynard being oblivious to flirtation is a choice or something that happened organically, and how sheltered was he prior to his familial exile and he can't seem to interact appropriately, even in vaguely romantic situations. And then he writes, I may have overstated that a bit. I don't think you did, Kevin. I think you nailed it. Okay, one... That's just how I act <laughs> when I'm being <laughs> flirted with. So I not to that extent, but I'm fairly oblivious when people are flirting with me. I just think they're being nice. So I wanted to 
take that experience and just make it something heightened and more funny. So job well done. Yeah, it was great. Absolutely. <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay. Was there more to the question? Sorry, that was a long question. I think you got it. He asked if Reynard was sheltered as part of his upkeep. Up oh, I don't think it was sheltered. I think it was just selfish. <laughs> just, you know. Yeah. Didn't well, and I assume that. that how to act towards people that can't do something for you is probably not part of his formal education. Very fair. <laughs> okay, so general questions. First off, Irene says, not actually a question. This is not Comic-Con, Irene. Come here with your questions. No, this needs to be said. I think it's very kind that she said it. Hats off to Eric for some extraordinary dynamic combat and challenges in this arc, and I completely agree. It was a blast. And a barrage. It did not stop, and it was great. Nope. Okay, jump into the Discord. If you would ever like to ask us questions about the arc or whatever you would like, please join our Discord. You can find a link on our Facebook page and various other places on the internet. I will list them all later, but it's at the Geek Pantheon pretty much everywhere. All right. Oh, I already did that one. Okay, Liz wants to know, have you folks been trying out any other systems? We got the Pathfinder 2E one-shot. Should we expect more one-offs like that? Uh, hopefully, scheduling's hard, especially when you're trying to get like guests to come in and do stuff. Yeah, would love to, but it's also summertime and people are traveling and doing stuff, so schedules. But yeah, yeah, we're trying to cook one up. We really are. We've had talks. We'll do our best. Liz continues. How have your character goals changed from the beginning of the game to now? Have any of your main priorities completely changed or been dropped? I would say Eris's are fairly overt. Eris's the core thing about Eris is she's not primarily operating from fear anymore. That that was really where I started Eris is that everything Eris does is to make sure that she is personally secure. And that's not really so much her motive anymore in terms of her goals yeah i mean her goal has shifted external it's not become just about herself she's had that really cool little experience during the theater murder arc of discovering highwall and realizing that she's not actually the saddest most distraught person on the planet and that other people also feel things and <laughs> so that has shifted her objectives and goals a lot more. I think probably the most obvious way in which that's manifested is the conversation with Coldor, where it's just, okay, let me go down everybody's wish list. Uh, how can I solve their primary problem? So yeah, that would be my main observation of how Eris has changed her goals. I wouldn't say Hobbes had any necessarily change, like, fundamentally changed goals or priorities that he can elucidate, but he's definitely no longer keep your head down, do your job, take care of your friends guy. Like he's right. keep your head up. I wouldn't say he's at do good yet, but he's definitely at do less objectively bad. And I think one of if I were to say he added a goal, I think that make sure these three are okay when this is when whatever done means, whatever over means. I think uh, at least my read on Hob is the GM is he's hit a phase of not do good. Like you said, but he's certainly in a prevent harm phase. Like he's kind of like Batman, like Batman prevents harm. He doesn't necessarily do good. And I think mm -hmm. that's where Hobbs at. If that makes sense. 
I think Hob has a better barometer for who just needs help and who needs a butt kicking than Absolutely. Batman ever did. <laughs> yes. No, one, I'm not I'm taking not issue saying Hob is Batman. I'm not taking issue with you. I have a very hot Batman, Batman takes. Eris can make here. a really cool mask. And, Lots of wonderful toys. Uh, and gadgetry. Like, if we could tot- you wouldn't have to put a shirt on to have a utility belt. Pop will absolutely not ever wear a mask, but he might wear a utility bandolier. With some little bag. Owl and a cape. Oh, utility band. Okay. Yeah. Planning. But yeah, that that's what it is. Hob has realized that the way he's been going has been good for him, but only him. And part of the blood of old thing is you don't do a lot of thinking about other people, but he's made these inevitably made these wonderful friends that he actually cares about. And he's at the very least gonna make sure they're okay. Fellas? I'd say Milo, of course, his main goal was finding out if his wife had been killed and it was not an accident and taking care of that problem. And that has occurred. Do something about it. And that has been resolved. There's still an ongoing goal of trying to control the magic that comes out of him and he's beginning to wonder if it is possible at all and so that's an ongoing quest for him get this magic under control if you can and if not he's just going to lean into the mad to the mad scientist vibes and (laughs) seek world domination yep yep and i think right now he and some of these goals have just happened that way due to the gameplay. Right now, a goal of his is to somehow tr- try to keep the clan together and try to help Satan's vision of it to come to fruition. Yeah. Has Reynard changed fundamentally? <laughs> he quit drinking. A goal of staying sober is a pretty good goal. Well, I think becoming a lot less selfish, <laughs> helping friends and helping, I don't know, reaching toward things that aren't necessarily just for himself. So maybe a yeah. lot less murder, too. <laughs> that doesn't feel true. I still like the murder, but. <laughs> Trying to cut back. Not the rush it once was. <laughs> Streamlining who we murder. <laughs> okay. And then Liz's final question in this section is, what goals and maybe backstory stuff do you hope to be able to address in-game before the end of the campaign? I'd love to have an organic, not at all stilted reason to explain Eris's name. I'm trying. <laughs> no, I'm not setting that as a goal for anyone else, but it's not like we can't discuss it in the final Q and a if it comes to that but it plays into the last question i think hob is at a point where his backstory has become nearly irrelevant he has changed from that blood of old acolyte that he was so much like it would rock his world if somebody came back if that happened it would be or would make sense but as far as what do i want to see from his backstory coming back i don't know that there is anything at this point i'm happy with forward onward from hob yeah. I'm not sure how Milo feels about actually having a keg bottoms at this point. I think most of all the things that have been centered around Reynard have been about backstory. So 
I think we've touched on a lot of that, so I don't know what, what else would pop up. Uh, I think the more exciting things are the new things that are happening. <laughs> All right, Laura would like to know, when do we get to hear the story of how alternate timeline Eris got her and everyone she loves threatened? Did I say in the episode, or did I only think that when Eris references him threatening her and everyone he loves, jokes on him? I feel like that was said. Did I say that? Okay. But it also doesn't mean he didn't say it to her. Yes, no, obviously that happened. I just... It feels like the answer is just one of the times they saw each other, because Drakir does that to people. (laughs) Yeah, Who's it doesn't Drakir? necessarily mean they weren't working know. together either. Like, because Drakir threatened Thorin plenty of times while they were working as close allies. Yup. And uh, I, I don't. This is I guess a the answer is I don't know. Nondescript world hopping drow. TM copyright. <laughs> to be fair, Laura did not call this drow Drakir. Laura is <laughs> just fair. curious about the occasion <laughs> where this happened. Really, the answer to when Eris got her and everyone she loved threatened is every time we had a conversation with Vigo. That's also true. Oh, and then Laura's last question in this section. What's the Eris Olive ship name? I don't know. Both their names start with vowels. That's really difficult because it's like Oilis. That's horrible. Olive? Yeah, I don't know how to. I I got no idea. Oris sounds like a disease. (laughs) <laughs> or like some sort of like antelope that lives in the steppes of Asia. It's got to be air love. Air love. Yeah. Is there is Zay easier? Not really. Yeah, I don't know. We'll take suggestions. Sure. Yeah. Let us know in Discord. I got. Yeah. This is not the way it works. You tell us what the ship name is. We don't come up with that. Yeah, I was gonna say Give that. Yeah. <laughs> We're not the ones shipping people. <laughs> I'm not going on archive of our own and writing fanfic about my thing. <laughs> to be clear, I'm not going on archive of our own and writing fanfic. Sure you aren't. Mm-hmm. I'm not creative enough. I've never tried, but I know I couldn't do it. Uh, a new member of the Discord who I forgot to ask what they would like to be called, so I'll go by their Discord name of Keep On Rolling, asks, they've been really enjoying hearing about how Philip and Eric discuss Ari's motivations in Kyber Shards. Does that same dynamic exist when the roles are reversed and Eberron renewed? Do you find yourself having those same types of conversations, Eric and Philip, about Eris's intentions and actions? I'm going to read the whole thing and just let you answer. If so, how does it influence your gameplay? And then similar question for the rest of the cast and how much discussion goes on in terms of character intentions. I feel like we had a lot of conversations at the beginning of the campaign about who Eris was and her backstory and all of that. But I have... Other than things like when I took the mind of its own thing and made the turned the skiff into Tasha and stuff and big giant things like that that were going to be significant, I don't think I've I don't think I've had anything that I felt like I needed to give Eric a particular heads up about. And hopefully, Eric, I have not sprung things on Eric that he's gone. God, man, Eric, Philip, give me heads up. <laughs> but yeah. So I would say probably not as much here's what I might be about to do, but we did have a lot of those conversations at the beginning, probably more than we did about Ari. So it was probably just more front loaded. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. With For me, Eric and I have a lot of conversations during the building phase. I want to make sure that does this backstory work in what you're wanting to do? Because obviously if I was 
something that would not have ended up with these three people. We need to fix that. One time I texted him. I was like, hey, this talent seems real broken. You sure you want to make this an option for me? And he was like, yeah, you're right. Don't do that. That might have been in a different game, but regardless. As far as intentions and stuff, I keep thinking I build like real tropey archetypal characters. So I feel like the intentions when I'm done building the character are pretty clear. But then that keeps getting subverted by the other people that I get to work with on the podcast because that's what you do when you improvise together. So no, I don't have a lot of talk about intentions, goals, things like that, because I like to see what Eric will throw. I've heaped a lot of praise on Eric in this episode, and I don't regret it because I talk a lot of crap, but he is actually a friend that I care very much about and am constantly awed by the things that he comes up with. So I don't want to hamstring Eric's potentially better ideas by saying, but what if this? Or, but I'd really like to this. Because I also know that Eric will try to give us things that we want within reason when we ask because he wants us to have fun playing. So I'm happy to put myself at his mercy right up until I yeah. am no longer. I love to see where Eric is going to take my characters. I like to just say, here's my background. Here's what's going on. Let me know if any of that's not okay. And if it is, you do you, boo. And I'll be happy. <laughs> And I love it when Randy calls me boo. So I'll do yes. it once at that point. And occasionally I'll, I might send him a message and say, Hey, this, and what about that? What do you think about this? And sometimes from those conversations back and forth with Eric, other things emerge and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds good. Let's sure. Let's do it. Yep. But I like giving the GM that ability to just, play off of my character and surprise me with stuff. It's no fun if you build a character and you tell your GM, and here's what I want to happen, and here's what I think should go here, and I want to get from point A to point B like this, and that's no fun. Don't ever do that to your GM. Give them some freedom to have fun with your character and surprise you. I will say I speak with Eric more about our home game, actually, than I do about this one as far as my character and stuff. Part of that reason, I think, is because, comically enough, I'm the veteran player at that table. <laughs> and also because Eric cuts the brakes when he's DM in the home game. A lot of wackier stuff has been going <laughs> I think he's playtesting. We have fun. Okay. Um, I do want to say, I feel, and I feel like most the most conversations I have with anyone in this campaign has been with Randy in terms of ongoing touch points. And it's because... And this is something that I think I've spoken a bit about on a personal level away from the microphones, but I do want to just bring it up because it's relevant to this conversation. I've grown a lot as GM since campaign one. And Randy is, we joke about Milo being this campaign's barrack, but I feel like I'm doing with Randy what I should have done with Philip in campaign one of doing check-ins of here's what I'm thinking. Here's like, progression for the character and how it plays into the campaign. And I feel like I did a very poor job of that, like with Philip and Barrick in terms of how I was managing the campaign in campaign one. Sorry, Philip, that you had to be my growing pains, but I feel like I'm doing a much better job with Randy and Milo this time around of doing check-ins and here's the craziness. Are you cool with it? And we'll talk through stuff to find a place that we're both happy with before we actually put it in the game. Yes. So are you saying I'm in for a real cushy time when it's my turn next campaign to be the tragic character? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be well taken care of by my DM. But Ophelia 
would like to know, and I fear I'm about to embarrass myself. What is the current count of magic items in the party's possession, and what do they do? Okay, so I'm looking at my character sheets uh, of actual magical items. Eris is Eris has her artificing cyborg gauntlet, which enhances her artifice and mechanics abilities, and has the ability to uh, effectively break an enchantment or do major damage to an object, but that depletes it, over overcharges it. She's got the Fletcher. She's got the hand Fletcher that she made for Reynard, which he snubbed. She has a retractable blade in her other, in her bracer on the other hand that she stole from Sharn Watchguard. And she's got the little spray of dart launchers on her cyborg gauntlet. I suppose Tasha would count as a magical item to a degree. And then like I have a talent of wall crawler that I represent by claiming she's created magnet boots. She's got the portable hole thing and the little teleportation pucks, which I think is everything. I've made more things than that. She's made some acid and poisons and things like that, but that's probably not. So that's my, my estimation of stuff that Eris is carrying. Okay. Milo has, his wand, which is essentially the cross brace of a stool and is powered by the smoke coming out of his head. He's got a cloak that he wears that absorbs some damage and some gloves that basically let you regain health or strain and they're depleted upon use. That's and cool. I remember those. There is an ice staff of some sort that I believe Reynard has. Hob doesn't have much. Uh, Hob has his <clears throat> gems from his time at the monastery that ra- keep his wraps, his wrist wraps closed on those. I don't know what you call them. They're not butterflies, are they? Like the pronged banded wrap clips. Yeah, butterfly. Okay. Yeah, that's They're butterfly mounted closure. to those. He's got his harness that tells him where things be. And he has his gloves and imbued tattoos that make him punch gooder. And I believe that's it, unless he got a like a bag of holding and I forgot about it, which is definitely in the realm of possibility. Oh, the goggles. Harris has goggles. There you go. All right, Trevor, what does Reynard have? I've got the, the dagger. I've got the necklace that slightly alters the appearance. I've got... The aforementioned freezing staff thing. The owl goggles. And then, do the arrows count? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I know the ones that, the things Eris made would count. I didn't know if the ones, the other ones I had. If the arrows aren't magic, they are marvels of engineering. (laughs) I think that's it. I think that's everything. And then the others have things as well. I guess we also have several magic items that we don't carry around like stuff. We stole from Millhatch and took off the Tashur and that kind of thing. Oh, sure. The transport or teleporters. Yeah. Tasha is, Tasha's an elemental yeah. when she's in a thing. Is she a magic item? That feels reductive. The things that she drives are magic items. For, for sure. 
Ophelia continues with another question. You've done a couple of romance slash interpersonal plots in both campaigns. Do you have a particular way that you handle them in terms of out of character planning? I guess that Philip enjoys a certain amount of ball gowning, which I had to look up for anybody else who doesn't know what that means. I guess it's I a UK centric term I saw, but it's romance style of relationships in role playing. How do slash would you approach it with your other players? Awkwardly. <laughs> I have played two explicitly aromantic characters, so I'm going to sit down, sit back and let you guys who've done it before talk. I do enjoy a relationship-based, focused style of role-playing when I decide I want to get to know a character. And so, romantic or otherwise, I have I enjoyed getting to know who Paula was in the first campaign, but honestly, I'd say the relationship that mattered most to me as a player ended up being Beric and Oriana outside of the core group. And then, of course, in this one, the relationship that matters the most to me and Eris is, of course, Olive. I, yeah, I like the approach. Honestly, me and Eric have never sat down and talked about those relationships in terms of planning them out. They've gone organically eric and i have known each other so long that i think it's pretty pretty safe to say we are able to pick up on one another's what we're trying to do pretty well and so it hasn't really required planning if i knew eric less well and if you know your players less well or if you just aren't sure i would certainly recommend having conversations outside of the game eric and i don't much just because there has yet to be a situation where our read on a relationship is not clear to each other, I think. Yeah, that's great. Eric, do you have anything you want to add about on the DM side of it? Yeah, I uh, just what Philip said, like we've never really in, done intentional planning, just picking up on vibes. And I think that generally speaking, uh, it's, I don't think I would approach it much differently. I didn't talk to Trevor about dumping Nessa Moonshadow in his lap, but it's one of those things where oftentimes I'll present something to a player and their player character and see how they respond, see if they bite. And if they do, great. If not, just like any other plot hook, it's okay, cool. Move and right along. Even if that's even if it's a reoccurring NPC, just like a person might put out feelers to somebody they're close with, and if there's no reciprocation, it's like, okay, cool. I'm gonna be a grown up about this and just move on. So, yeah, I think it's much more paramount if you're doing it with another player. If it's a player to player romance thing, mm. that you should be communicating frequently and often about. But yeah. DM to player character, I'm less concerned about that generally, especially with the players that I play with, because I tend to be very, I, I almost said I tend to be very overt, but that's not entirely true because there have been times where I've subtly thrown something out there as an NPC, the player didn't pick up on it. And I was like, okay, cool. But like in our home game that Jeff referenced, I will have like NPCs like overtly wink at player characters. And I it is run the gamut from be, them winking back and being like, oh yeah. And other ones going, no, go away. Not from a like that NPC, but just the idea of romance in general being something that like disgusts them. So, you know, you, you throw out bait and see who bites. Yeah, in that home game, I play a bard who I started out as this kind of, I thought, these people are all game to be whatever. They're different 
group of people. So like this Lothario kind of thing I tried to do. And I mean, it was like, this sucks. I don't want to play this guy anymore. And just dropped it. <laughs> I was like, I like her and him and her. And like camp session two, I was like, yeah, no, not anymore. <laughs> I just want to make money. I do want to say, because I, I said it just flippantly earlier, I said that I played two aromantic characters. And I want to be, since that is an actual way that people identify, mm. I want to be clear. While I do see Hob towards that ace arrow into the spectrum, Dex was just not in romantic situations. I don't want to, because mm-hmm. he obviously, if you go back and listen, was not a romantic. Okay, We're um, booyah on the other hand. <laughs> Kevin would like to know why is Hob and the rest of the group concerned about returning to Savia's other places, but not other known places like the Four Sales and Milo's family home. Hob, I think my, Milo yeah, Milo is concerned about his family home. I think maybe things have gone on in the background that haven't played out in the story yet, but they probably will. Yeah. Part of the reason that Hob has stayed away from Savia's is because Savia is collateral damage if it happens. And being on the city council and the Boromars having stake in the city council as well it just was easier for hob to say i'm just gonna pull myself out of the situation the four sales that's probably not honestly a dangerous place for them to go if they're all four together or seven together <laughs> yeah and milo's home is milo's home if he's there and wants hob there and bites hob there hob's gonna go there irene would like to know trevor where can we find your tour dates just go ahead and drop those out there i post them like monthly basically so at the beginning of the month, I'll post for the entire month. And on Instagram, the T-H-E-P-A-T-Y-B-O-U-R-E-Y, or Facebook, Patty Bure. They're more permanent on Facebook. I think I just posted in my story on Instagram. All right. A couple of questions. Or just shoot me a message. Yeah, also a possibility. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to drop them in the Discord, my guy. I think everybody would be happy to know if you were coming to a place near them. And then... Where's that Q8 here? There it is. Last two questions from Becca. She would like to know, what was your favorite craft project? Something you made or put together like painting, clothing, videos, etc. Go ahead, Eric. Favorite thing that I put together was probably the gaming table that we had when I lived in my previous house that was way too big to fit in this house. So yeah, that was a lot of fun to put together. One of mine would be um, something I, some things I have made it to help with some magic effects and I will not go into detail because <laughs> a magician magician never reveals his secrets. That's right. Dumb ones Dumb do, ones. but anyway, mine's all home improvement related stuff. I really enjoy doing it and I tend to be pretty proud of it when it's done. I did hand poured concrete countertops and rebuilt my cabinets a couple years ago for my kitchen and very proud of it. I sew. So things that I sew and, embellish mine would be miniatures usually that's the main thing occasionally some terrain that i use in my home game uh i recently put together one that i think is pretty cool i'll show the guys but you don't get to see it because you're this is not a video thing but it's this very cool guy riding a wyvern but what i learned to do in this one is to use magnets to make it so the guy can be removed and then put back without glue so I learned like how to magnet a person onto their mount, which is if any of you listening are war gamers, you learned to do that two days after you learned to paint. 
but <laughs> I never needed to learn to do that. And then I got some magnets and decided to try and I'm real proud of how it worked. All right. Last question. Rapid fire. I wants to know your favorite summer treat. Ready? Go. Man, I just love when watermelon's in season. Ice cream. Fair. Well, I love a margarita. <laughs> Fair enough. And Arnold Palmer. All right. You're all wrong. It's snow cones. If you'd like to get involved, please join us. Huh? I hate snow cones so much. What? <laughs> you probably go to one of those bad places that puts like an inch worth of syrup in the bottom of the cup. It's lightly flavored. Get us if out of here. Get, if you want to get involved, <laughs> please come find us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Friendster, at the Geek Pantheon. Eric does fantastic DMing videos on YouTube. You can find those at the Geek Pantheon. Philip DMs our sister program on YouTube. Search for The Laughing Tree and you'll find Kyber Shards. Eric is a player in that one. Philip, Philip, Philip does not do drag. Trevor already mentioned his, his dates. And I'm actually going to be, I'm actually going to be streaming on Twitch as soon as we end this call. So if you're listening live, stop it. Get out of our house. Philip, what do they have to donate to the Patreon to get, get you in drag? (laughs) Five million dollars. Absolutely no one wants that. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. I do want to let you guys know, I'm sorry I'm talking so fast. We're trying to get out of here for Eric's sake with the editing, but this will be the last reviewed where I guarantee, can guarantee Ever. you everyone's going to be here. We're going to switch format a little bit and we're going to go to either the DM and myself or one of the characters. You probably won't know until the arc is over because I don't want to give away if it's like a, we're going to have Randy on because that huge thing that happened at the end of the last episode, I can't, but that's how we're going to be doing it from now on. Obviously the last one we are going to all be there for because that would be wild to not be. Thank you so much for listening. And in uh, we'll catch you next week. I have been Jeff. I'm Philip. I'm Trevor. I'm Randy. I'm Eric. Good night. <laughs>